All right, for those that are watching online, welcome. We're, we're glad you're, you're participating today. My name is Frank, and I'm one of the pastors, and I'm really excited to be here this morning. We're in a series called Bible 101, and this is actually week 14, so there must be more to 101. We should, probably should be in like 501 by now. But we're looking at how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible by studying the book of Colossians. And we've learned some things about how to look at Scripture, how to notice what the writer wanted us to see, how to pay attention to things like how a passage makes us feel, and, and things like what do we do with lists, and what do we do with verb tenses, and all those kind of things. And I hope that what we're doing is developing the skill as disciples to read the Bible on our own and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us. Now, I mentioned a while back, a few servants ago, that when I was younger, I wore some pretty incredible clothes. I did. I was styling. I really was. I had bell bottoms, and I wore them all the time because I thought I had big feet. And so I'd wear bell bottoms like no matter where we went. And one time, uh, I wore bell bottom jeans. My wife is hallucinating now, so yeah. All right. Well, I wore some bell-bottom jeans, uh, actually, to the Bahamas once. Um, in any event, I also was really cool. I had platform shoes. I had a silk shirt. I was Saturday Night Live. Every night, I was alive. I thought I was cool. Clothes say a lot about us, don't they? We spend a lot of time thinking about our clothes. We use our clothes to express ourselves. Clothes say a lot about someone. Clothes tell people who we are. We, we spend a lot of money putting ourselves together, don't we? I mean, we, we can go through clothing store after clothing store, spend a lot of time making assumptions about people based on what they're wearing. If you just take somebody and redress them, people get a completely different impression of who they are based on how they're dressed. Some of us try to impress others by wearing clothes or labels that we honestly can't even afford, and we don't know why we think that label is worth the money they say it's worth. But then again, we seem unable to afford to do anything else. No doubt about it, clothes make the person, they make a great first impression. And when we get tired of dressing ourselves, we dress other things. We go around looking for things to dress up. We, we sometimes go to extremes. We dress up dogs. We dress up all kinds of animals. We dress up babies, children, and yes, even husbands. We dress up whatever we can figure out how to dress up because clothing makes a statement. But have you ever thought about how you're spiritually dressed? What do you put on spiritually that lets other people know what's really important about you and to you? When people look at your spiritual attire, your spiritual wardrobe, does it align with the words and actions that come out of your mouth? Paul has warned these believers at Colossae that there are people who are coming to you with a false message and they're going to be wearing false clothing. And we've been studying that for now 14 weeks. They're going to try to impress you with their appearance. They're going to try to impress you with their knowledge. Don't pay attention to their words. But then Paul, in this passage, turns to the Colossians and says, but what about you? Are your words true? Are your words aligned? Is what you're dressed spiritually aligned with who you say you are? What are you wearing spiritually? Who have you embraced? And is it obvious in the way you live your life? 
When people see you, do they see you or do they see Jesus Christ? Paul is transitioning at this point in his letter. We're in the middle of chapter 3. He's warned about false teachers. Now he looks inward and says, okay, now make sure there's nothing false about you. Don't be somebody else's false teacher. You see, Colossians, they had the wrong context. They'd let other people define who they were. They'd allowed the crowd, they'd allowed the audience to say who they were. They had forgotten that they have an audience of one. They had missed their freedom in Christ because they've struggled trying to remember who they are. They, like we, have a new master, a new perspective, a new future, new values, and new self. But despite all of that, they're still missing something. And what they're missing out on is the potential that God has placed in them. So Paul tells them and tells us, heads up, look up. Do you realize who you are? Do you realize whose you are? Do you know that Jesus set you free? Stop looking horizontally and keep your eyes focused on him. He's been reminding them of the truth that we've been studying, that Jesus is preeminent, that you died and rose with him and you live in him and you live free from the expectations of others, that you have a faith of one, an audience of one, freedom through one, transformation by one. We've been studying that every week, that we're renewed daily, just like an app on our phone. We plug into Christ, the hotspot. We connect through prayer, which is the Wi-Fi. And every day he just downloads into us what we need to be up to date and ready to serve that day. Giving us just what we need when we need it. Our salvation is free. It comes through faith. But we have to position ourselves every day. We have to abide with Christ. We have to stay connected to God and committed to his word. It's hard work. This isn't something that we just, it's the most important thing in our lives. We have to pay attention to what God wants us to do, how he wants to grow us. And now in this passage, he's going to begin to transition us to unity. No Jew, no Greek, no circumcised, no uncircumcised, no slave, no master. All are in Christ and Christ is in all. What he's telling everybody is you have a new self. You're a new person. I always say it, you know, a lot of times people come and they're humans trying to have a spiritual experience. We are new spiritual beings now having a human experience. And what Paul's going to say in this message is if you're truly reborn of the Spirit, if you're truly a child of the living God, it's time to live like it. And it's time to dress like it. Let's look at our passage. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And when you came in, 
I hope you picked up one of these sheets. They're outside if you don't have one. I'm not going to go through this in detail, but in this series, I've been giving you my notes for the passages that we're studying. And I'll highlight in here the list that we see, the, the contrast that we see, the metaphors that are there, the things that when we look at this passage, when we read it at least seven times, when we study it, when we pray through it, we begin to notice things. And I'm not going to go through this right now. I want you to go home and look at it and pay attention to the list, pay attention to the contrast. If you can learn to study the scriptures by noticing every word, every verse tense, every command, every suggestion, you'll begin to see these truths, they'll come up to you. This passage is about God's love. We're going to look at it. Everything in this verse hinges on the first few words. Let's look at the first of that verse, verse 12. Everything hinges. Chosen, holy, dearly loved. Do you believe that? Seriously, God's word says you are chosen, that you are holy, that you are deeply loved. The word is beloved. It means that you're in the Father's heart. You're a cherished valuable person that he loves. Do you really believe that? Because if you don't believe that, it's going to be hard for you to look at what he's going to teach next. Everything hinges on this verse. This is a very visual passage. It's full of metaphors. It's full of pictures. Paul says to the Colossians and you and me, all who believe in Christ are chosen. They are holy. They are deeply loved. Think about that list. Why those three things? Why in that order? Which of those three is hardest for you to believe? Is any one of those any more true than the others? How can we be holy? How is that even possible? Why are we deeply loved and not just loved? You see, when you slow down and you begin to look at the verse, you begin to see there's a lot in those first four or five words. Notice the structure of the sentence. This is a command of response. What I mean by that is this is a command. Put on. That's a command. Paul says, God says through Paul, put on. That's something we're to do. It's a command. What are we to put on? Well, there's a list. Compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's another list for us to think about, another list for us to set aside and look at later. Another list to think about why did he pick those things? Why are they in that order? What did I expect to be in that list that's not there? All those things we've been talking about. But for now, this command is a response to something. The realization of a given truth that you are God's chosen, that you are holy and you are beloved. This is a command of response. In other words, when you realize the truth that you are chosen, holy, and deeply loved, you are commanded to then put on these things. Have you ever put on something and immediately think, this isn't for me? You ever put that on? I have a whole closet full of things I'm supposed to lose weight into. Uh, This isn't for me. And you immediately feel foolish dressed in clothes that don't define you. 
You immediately look around and hope nobody sees. You don't come out of the dressing room because you don't want anybody to see how foolish you look in whatever it is you just put on. It's really silly trying to wear something that's not really for you. Many of us and many at Colossae had not embraced who they really were. It's like everything in this letter has led to this moment. Paul's telling them who they really are, and yet they're still saying, really? We're chosen? We're holy? We're deeply loved? Really? Really? By God, really? And Paul's at the point in the letter where he's like, you don't realize that, you can't change the world. There is a response to the realization of who we really are. When we understand, when we really, really understand that we've been chosen, that God in heaven said, I'm going to go save so-and-so. We were chosen. When we really realize that we are holy, not because we're perfect, but because he's perfect and we're dressed in him. We are holy and we are dearly loved. Think about if those three things were the pinnacle of your reality of who you are. Who are you? I'm chosen. I am deeply loved and I'm holy because Jesus loves me and that's the most important thing in my life. When you understand that, everything changes. Understanding who you really are is the single most important thing about you. And it determines what experience you're going to have while you're on earth. God through Paul tells us, look, there's clothes you belong in. There are clothes I've designed that fit you perfectly. There are some things that you must choose to wear that will tell everyone all they need to know about you. Jesus says, look, since you belong to me, it's time to dress like me. It's time to put on what you see in me, or better yet, allow me to put on you in you those things that reveal who you really are to the world. Allow me, the Holy Spirit says, to express my compassionate heart, my kindness, my humility, my meekness, and my patience through you. Let's show the world whose you really are. Prior to this passage, the message from Paul throughout this letter has been what to avoid, what not to do. Now Paul moves to who and what we're to embrace, what we're to do. Paul says this. God says this through Paul. I want you to take off those grave clothes, and I want you to put on grace clothes. Turn to the person next to you and said, I gave up my grave clothes for grace clothes. You guys are terrible at this. Do it. Speak to your neighbors. Proclaim it. I gave up my grave clothes to get grace clothes. Our spiritual walk with Christ is the process of replacing our vices with virtue. And it sounds easy, but how do we do that exactly? Even if we realize that we are holy, that we are chosen, that we're deeply loved, how do we change? How do we allow the Holy Spirit to come to us so that we're putting on the reality of who we are. Well, fortunately, in this passage, I found five R's. Five R's make it easy to preach, easy to remember. I don't know why, but it just does. The very first thing 
that's going to determine how your life changes in response to the reality of understanding who you are is one requirement, the love of Christ. Colossians 3.14, Paul says, and above all things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, humans were created in the image of God, and God is love. We were created to love. We crave to be loved. There's something inside of every one of us. We were created to love, but we also crave being loved. There is a desire in us, a place in us that is empty, that is seeking love. We don't all know it, but there is a God-sized hole for his love that is put inside of us, and we are seeking to fill that. It's a storage place created by our creator into his creation so we would one day be complete. We need to be loved. We must experience love. If humans don't experience love, they dry up. And if we don't receive God's love, people are going to turn to the fake substitute. They're going to look to the love of other people to fulfill them and wonder why it's a worthless endeavor. We will use other people to pursue the love that we need, even though they can never actually fill that void. Too many of us are looking for some human to be Jesus. And they're not. So they will disappoint. Put your faith in people instead of God. You're going to find out that deep inside we all crave to be loved, truly loved, fully and unconditionally. We crave it. We all know there's a love out there for us. There's a love that accepts us exactly as we were created. A love that embraces who we are and loves us anyway. Love that doesn't demand anything and yet gives everything. We all just want to be loved. All of us deep inside crave to be loved unconditionally. And so above all, God says, put on love. If you're going to wear anything spiritually, it better be love. If you're going to embrace one thing about Jesus, if you're going to take one thing from his life, one thing from the Gospels, one thing from the Holy Spirit, it should be love. Why? Because God says love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul's already taught that in Christ all things hold together. All things are created by him, for him, and through him. And he holds all things together. And now Paul tells us, and oh, by the way, his love holds you together. He holds the universe together. He's God. His love through the Holy Spirit is what holds us together. What do we have common in this room? Most of us would not know each other. Most of us would never have met each other. We're here for one reason and one reason only. We're here because of God's love. Because of the love of Jesus. The love that we've put on because we're chosen and holy and deeply loved ourselves. Love holds everything together, Paul says, and holds it together, not just together, but in perfect harmony. Perfect harmony, living in God's perfect peace, not uniformity, not clones, 
Each of us exactly the way we are. Each of us with our flaws that we're in the process of changing. Each one of us not full in Christ, but holy. Every one of us deeply loved. Every one of us chosen. And God says, look, there's a way that you guys, as different as you are, as messed up as you are, can still live in perfect harmony. It has to do with my love. Perfect harmony. Do you know what a soloist never experiences? Harmony. You think about that. I watch the ladies in the worship team as they work on harmonies. But if you sing by yourself, you never feel the thrill of what others can accomplish with you and through you in harmony. You miss out on maybe the joy of singing with other people. The joy of creating something together that none of you could do on your own. You may sound incredible as a soloist, but God calls us not to be soloists. That's what's so incredible about the church. It's what's so incredible about the people who believe in Jesus Christ. Everything is held together in his love. Have you ever noticed that the person that's singing harmony never sounds good by themselves? You ever notice that? That it just sounds weird. It's like, wait, wait, that doesn't sound good. Harmony requires at least two people. And don't miss this. It requires two people doing two different things. If everybody's uniform, there's no harmony. Let me repeat that. If everyone is uniform, there's no harmony. There's just volume. That you, that's profound, just so you know. You see, when we all try to make ourselves each other, when we set a standard that all of us have to do, all we do is just get loud. It's when all of us who are different bring together the gifts and talents of our abilities that we sound like a chorus in harmony. And Jesus and Paul, through, God through Paul, is telling us, look, the church is supposed to be like a chorus. All of us come together in harmony. We're bound together because of our love of Christ. We've put on love. If you don't put on anything else, he says, put on love. When we realize what he's trying to tell us, it becomes a key part of the reality of who we are as a church. We come from this idea that we are to be Above all else, people who give love to other people. But when you know, above all else, that you're beloved, that you're chosen by God, that he loves you desperately, and you realize you've been looking for love in all the wrong places, <laughs> and everything has come back empty, and then there's a moment where you feel it. There's a moment where you not just feel it, you know it. The love of God is being poured out on you. And we know that it exceeds anything we've ever experienced before. And it completes us. And it keeps us from searching for something we don't have. We change from being receivers of love to dispensers of love. We stop seeking love from man and man-made things and from other people. Once you receive God's love, the love of man is worthless. 
because it's a, a facsimile of the real deal. God's love overflowing to you is renewing. You can't help but give it away. There's so much of it. You're so blessed. You're so overwhelmed. It really is life-changing. You see, we think that love flows to us. Our spouse loves us. Our children love us. Our friends love us. Our church family loves us. We see us as people going around just receiving love. I'm just receiving love. People love me. They love me. It's great. And then what we say is, look, I'm so loved, I'm going to give something to God. I'm going to praise God. These people are filling me up with their love, and I'm going to give it to God. And that's how we picture love, coming from us to God. God says, no, no, that's not how it works. You see, love originates from me, he says. God is love. Anything else you pick up along the way is fake. God says, look, here's how this works. The love of God is poured out from the throne of God in heaven onto God's people through the Holy Spirit. And he saturates you in his love, his supernatural love, not the fake stuff you think is love, the unconditional supernatural love from the throne of God to your heart through the Holy Spirit. And you are so full of love that you are now going to pour it out on other people. Not because you choose to, because you can't help it. You see, this isn't about you receiving love. It's about you being flooded with love. And it's not coming horizontally, it's coming vertically. You're so filled with God's love. And then John says something that's very interesting. He says, look, this love is amazing. This love, God pours out his love through Jesus to us. A love that flows to us. It's amazing when you think about it. John says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Notice what he says. John does not say, see the love the Father has given to us. That's not what he says. What he says is, see what kind of love the Father has poured out on you. In other words, don't just notice that it's love. Notice that it's a love that didn't come from this earth. Notice it's a love that can only come from God. A love that only comes from the throne of God and is poured out on you. If anything that Jesus says to us, it's here's the Father's unconditional love. It's amazing love. And it leaves you standing there. How, how can that be? And so we're going to stop right now. We're not really going to stop. We're going to transition. I want us to sing worship about this amazing love. It's incredible. It flows from the throne of God to you. It saturates you, and you can't help but change. You can't help but pour it out. And all you can do, here's the deal. When that love gets poured out on you, you give a, some of it back to God in praise. It's the tithe. God, you have flooded me with your love. I'm going to reflect that back to you by worshiping. Stand up and let's worship for a few minutes.
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried out our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. You my king. You have a seed. Amazing love. How can it be? That's the question that Paul is asking in Colossians. How can this possibly be? How can this amazing love fall on me? I don't understand. How does that happen? This love that pours out from the Father, we offer back to Him. First John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You see, everything flows from God 
Everything flows from love. Compassion replaces selfishness. Kindness replaces malice. Humility replaces arrogance. Patience replaces impatience. Forgiveness replaces anger. And the love of Christ changes us. We begin to presume the best of each other. We hope for the best of each other. We celebrate the best for each other. We put on the love of Christ realizing that we are chosen, we are holy, and we are deeply loved, every one of us. So we change when we realize God's love. The second way we change is when we realize the rule of peace in our hearts because of God's love. The next verse, and let peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body and be thankful. Notice that Paul says, let this happen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He doesn't say, find the peace of Christ. He doesn't say, I hope Christ gives you peace. It's already there. You're filled with God's peace because you love Jesus. You've surrendered to Jesus. All that peace is there. You just got to let it happen. The peace of Christ wants to rule in your heart. Think about that for a moment. There's a battle going on in your heart for who's going to rule. The peace of the Holy Spirit or the fear of the world. And he says, look, you need to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That's one of the things you need to be dressed in. You see, when God's love pours out through us and we're saturated in it, there's a peace of God that's deposited in our heart because of that love. And if God loves you that much, if you're at that much peace, what are you worried about? And notice, it's not just peace from God. It's the peace of God. You're getting God's peace, not your peace. Not the peace the world's seeking. Not something you can go find on the street corner. Not something you can do through hypnotherapy. There's a peace of God that comes from the throne of God that's His peace that He puts in His children. You have it. You need to let it reign in your heart. In other words, you need to stop blocking it. But here's the question. Are you allowing His peace to rule in your heart? Or is something else ruling in your heart? Is your heart full of the world's worry and anxiety and fear? Are you letting that rule? Because one of the things you're going to put on as a Christ follower is peace. The world's going to be freaking out. What's going to happen in the election? What's going to happen over here? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I know Jesus Christ. And his love has been poured into me. So whatever happens, he loves me. I'm invincible. I don't have anything to worry about. And he says, not only that, but when you have that kind of love, you can strive to be at peace with everybody, even people you don't like. I say it all the time at church, you know. We have to love each other, but nobody said we had to like each other. And when you put people together, they're messed up. We're messed up. We're getting better. God's changing us, but we're all on a journey of change. We're misfits. We're like a misfit island. And God is changing us. And we're going to love each other. Romans 12, 18, if possible. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. When God's love flows through you, when you're like, I'm so loved, I'm beloved, I'm chosen, I'm holy. We don't have to compete for the love of other people because we don't need it. We know it's empty. 
We know every human we ever see is going to disappoint us. It's okay because we have the love of God. Our whole has been completed. We're not trying to fill it with somebody else's performance. We aren't competing for God's love because we're too busy drowning in it. And here's what Paul says. It's so incredible. When you understand that, when you get that his love is poured out on you, when you get that he has completed you, that you can't help but have it overflow, here's what he says. You're going to realize something. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no circumciser, male, female, no Democrat, no Republican, no Windows, no Mac, no Texan and everybody else. None of that happens because we're all so full of God's love. It's all good. And we're going to let that peace rule in our heart. So we understand who we love. We understand the rule in our heart. And the third R is we're to reflect on the word of Christ. What are we to do in response to all that? Well, here's what he says in the next verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching you and admonishing you in all wisdom, singing praises and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Dwell richly. When you go into God's word, you're either a tourist or an explorer. God's word changes who you are. It permeates your heart. It softens your heart. Then he says, teach. He says it to all of us, not just me. Teach. Share what you learn. Share with each other collectively. This is not a solo thing. And then he says, and use that truth to admonish one another, not beat each other up but to lovingly and gratefully redirect each other. All of us, collectively. And then he says, and when you've done that, then you sing. You can't help but give it back to God in praise. Something supernatural happens when God's people worship together. He says, I want you to teach, I want you to admonish, and I want you to sing in love with thanksgiving. The fourth thing he points out is our response. When we understand all that I've been talking about, all we can do is be thankful. He says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing, all wisdom, songs, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do in word or do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Our entire life should be about two things. Well, more than two. The love of God and the thankfulness that comes back. We call it praise. We call it blessings. We call it worship. Whatever it is, when we understand all that's happened to us, we worship back to God. And he repeats thankfulness three times in this passage. Three times. We've talked about the number three, how important that is. God is examining your heart for gratitude. He's looking, he's like, I poured out all this love on you. You are chosen. You are holy. You're beloved. Do you know it? Do you realize who you're really created to be? Are you living like that? Are you putting on the clothes of Jesus Christ? Do other people look at you and say, wow, that's somebody that knows how to live like Christ and with Christ. False teachers are arrogant. They're entitled. They're judgmental. Followers of Jesus Christ are humble, thankful, and appreciative. 
And then the fifth, the most important, is the reason all this happens, which is Jesus. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything in the name of Jesus. Everything we do in the name of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but there's some things I have to stop doing because I can't do them in the name of Jesus. He says, look, I want you to do everything. Everything you do, I want it to be glorifying God out of thankfulness for what he's done for you. And my response to that is, well, then, God, i got to stop doing some stuff because there's things I do every day that I can't bring Jesus into. I need to be looking for his purpose in what I'm doing or I need to not do it. I need to see him working through what I'm doing. I need to see the energy and effort that I'm putting in going back to worshiping him or I need to stop. And if I can't do what I'm doing with thanksgiving to God, it tells me that I'm in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. So imagine Remnant, this body of believers, this small church. You know, we wear clothes as a church too. People come all the time to look at us and see how we're dressed. They see us together or apart. They ask questions like, are they all together on the same mission? Are they flying like Canadian geese all together? Are they just headed together, following Jesus, just going on a mission? Are they all playing their part in this movement? Or are they all individual soloists running into each other, banging into each other and not even noticing that I'm here? Is everyone playing their part, celebrating their freedom, discovering who they were meant to be, celebrating each other's freedom, doing life together in love because it binds them together. When people walk into this room, do they see love or not? As we teach and share it with others, admonish in love. We collectively pour out our songs in love. Doing everything in love because we've been given so much of it. People accuse me of being an optimistic dreamer sometimes. That I can imagine the church being something it's really not. I just wonder if those who visit us are overwhelmed by our love. You see, they too have been seeking love in all the wrong places. They stumble into a place like this and they say, I need something real. I need to know if it's real. And they're looking at you and me. Do these people care about me? Do they accept me as I am? Will they help me change into the person God wants me to be? If they found the secret to life, why are they not treating me with love? I need their help. I try to be the best example I can be. Do you know why I'm so passionate about trying to fill these seats? Other than covering up the orange. You see, I can go to my family. I can go to my coworkers. I can go to my friends. I can tell them about Jesus, and I do. I can answer their questions about God, and I do. People often ask me questions about the scriptures, and I answer them the best I can. I can live my life as the best example of Jesus I can be, and I try to do that, but I fail every day. But when I invite them here, 
I invite them to see something I never can show them on my own. See, because on my own, I'm a soloist. But when I bring them here, we're a chorus of love. You see, what happens is I invite them to see something I can never show them on my own. It's not our worship music, although it's amazing. It's not the sermon, though, with bias. I think they're okay. I don't invite people here to grow our budget or to feed our egos. I invite them here because I want them to know Jesus, and the best way for them to know Jesus is to see the clothes that you wear with each other. When they see how we love each other, how we care for each other, they're drawn to the God who loves us. And that's something I can never, ever show them separate from being at church together. I can't replicate it online. I can't do it when I'm one-on-one with somebody. They've got to see us together. God has a plan for us to change the world. Paul reminds us that it's God's love that unifies us as the best witness of Jesus Christ. 1 John 4:11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Don't miss what that verse says. No one has ever seen God. Our job is to show people who are looking for love, the love of God, and they've never seen him before. And there's only one way they're going to see him. And that is if his love, his supernatural, the love of God from the throne of God through the Holy Spirit into our lives overflowing, they look at us, they look at the way we live, and they go, wow, never seen a love like that before. That didn't come from them. They're messed up. These people, I mean, they, they're not even pretty. They're messed up. But they got this love. They got this peace. There's something inside of them that I want. I don't know what it is. I don't know how they got it, but I need that. Because there's something in me that tells me that what they have fills the hole that I don't have, that I need to fill. The strongest witness we have as a church is our love for one another. It's that simple. We either put on God's love, we either love one another, we accept one another, we live life together, and we care for one another, or we don't. People often tell me, quit looking to the future. Why are you so passionate about growing this church? Not about my ego. We have a message for people. A lot of times, churches like ours, we get focused on what we've done. So easy. Look at what Remnant's done. Look at what Ashton's done. Do you know what one of my biggest fears is for our church? That we'll get focused on our past that we'll get so comfortable maintaining what God has built that we forget that we're supposed to be focused on building the church. The 
the strongest witness is our love for one another. You see, something tells me that God has a deeper experience planned for all of us together. God says, look, no eyes conceive, no mind conceive. The things that God has for those who love him. We're going to experience that, but I think we're supposed to experience it together. When you start something new, you invite everybody to it. You got nothing to do but to build it up. All your energy and attention is on the building or on building the business. And then once you build something, your focus turns to maintaining it. But often you focus on maintaining something, you forget to build it. Everything God is in continues to grow. Just look at nature. Whatever God is in, whatever God does, it grows. God says, I want to grow my church. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray that he'd send workers out into the harvest. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell can't stand against it. He says, lift up. When Christ is lifted up, all men are drawn. If all men aren't drawn to you and our church, it's because we haven't lifted up Christ. Scriptures say, when Christ is lifted up, all men are drawn. There is a love that we possess. There is a peace that's in our heart that no one can resist. No one, if it's lifted up. The problem is, as believers, we lift up a lot of things, but it's usually not the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. When Christ is lifted up, all men are drawn. Many people tell me, well, just look around at churches. They're full of conflict. They're full of arrogance. They're full of problems, manipulation, control. And yet I come here and I see the love that we have for one another. And I keep wondering if we could really learn to love each other. If we could put on love the way Paul talks. Then God would be doing something very different at Remnant. I know he wants all of us to grow deeper. I have no doubt. But if everything about us was about his love and his peace and his word and his sacrifice and his amazing love, who wouldn't be drawn to that? That's why you and I are here, right? At some point, we were drawn to a love we couldn't imagine. Who isn't drawn to that? Who doesn't want to go to a church like that? Can you imagine it? Paul did, because he wrote to the church at Colossae. He says, I want you to be a different church. I want you to be a church that wears the clothes of God. I want you to be a church that knows that you're deeply loved. And he says, and put on these things. Put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Giving thanks to God through him. Let's pray. God, I thank you. That it's all about love. And it's not a love that comes from us, comes from this world or that this world has ever seen. It's a love from the throne in heaven that came through Jesus. When people saw Jesus, they saw a love they'd never seen before. 
That's why he changed the world. Love is why he came. Love is why he taught. Love is why he pointed to you. Love is why he paid the price. Love is why he died. Love is why he resurrected. Love is why he's coming back. Everything is about love. Gave us the Holy Spirit and the very first fruit is love. He says love is the thing that endures forever. So God, help us to love. God, we desperately need to love this world. We need to stop criticizing it and love. We need to stop judging the people that don't know you and love them into a relationship with you. We need to be so connected to you in the word, in peace and in love, that we can't help but go tell everybody about this amazing experience we have at Remnant Church. God, would you move our hearts to be mirrors of your love? I pray, God, that when people are around us, they are drenched in your love. We're like a fire hydrant. Jesus himself said, all who are thirsty, come to me and I'll give you living water. God, let us be the church that sprays everybody with the living, loving water of Christ. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. It's in the mighty power of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 